are worlds between our own, and from these worlds there are written histories, both ancient and modern. To read of these testaments scrawled in hidden places and on other things, you must fix your eyes uncomfortably within you, and if successful, your gaze will unlock the door behind raw imagination and meet the manuscript of innumerable folios known as the Dark Darkness. Hello, I'm Sharkchild, and this is the Dark Verse. Testaments scrawled in hidden places and on nether things, with the sole purpose of sharing with you a unique world of horror and fantasy that will follow you to the visions of your sleep. You might have noticed that a few things have changed around the Dark Verse world, including the intro that you just heard. I'd love to hear what you thought about it. So, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash sharkchild, or you can email me at m at sharkchild.com. Some other things that have been updated are the podcast image, which of course I went to John F. Stifter for. The darkverse.com website has also changed. You should definitely check it out. It's one of the greatest podcast websites on the web. I can guarantee it. And also, sharkchild.com has changed my official website. I've also started doing a blog on that website, so there's some more frequent material. So, let's just move along and get right into this episode's story. This is episode 62 of The Dark Verse, and it is entitled, The Thief of Time-Worn Lives and His Fortress. I sat beside my grandmother, who lay calmly and quietly within her bed. Nothing but her shallow breaths penetrated the atmosphere of her room. I intently watched her chest as it rose and fell. Only by the visual motion could I even discern and align the sound of those faint breaths with my audible perception. My mother was in the kitchen, cooking dinner. My father was in the den listening to the radio. But those sounds did not matter. They were distant and out of mind. As I gave my attention to my grandmother, I began to notice the uncanny vibration of life within her. It quivered with each breath as an aura of pale color. The hue of this color waned in and out of darker and lighter shades as death came and went, fighting for full, undeniable control. And with this apparition, all sounds vanished. Like a dream, I witnessed visual phenomena that I could hold no conscious understanding of or control over. Then, with a new breath, I saw the aura of life around my grandmother change, as like the gentle change of a breeze. I walked over to the head of her bed, leaned against the edge, and moved in my face close to hers. Then, with what was supposed to be her last breath, I breathed. 
before she could sip in, I snagged the breath from her, taking it into my own essence, stealing away those last seconds of life she had left. For a moment, I tasted death. As a fortune teller communes with the future, so this breath within me told of death and its beyond. It tainted my insides, burning them, yet tingling them with vibrant, magnificent feeling. And as this breath reached the ends of its paths within my lungs, I sensed the beginnings of an incredible power, an indestructible presence. This first breath that I had stolen was laid within me as a brick, the first brick laying towards the construction of a menacing apparatus. I could not fathom its shape or even guess at its purpose, but it now rested within me as an artifact of vision, destiny, and perseverance, those things required to complete its work. I walked calmly to my mother and told her that grandmother was dead. Her first reaction was one of confusion, almost of impossibility, but she soon settled into the actuality and came back with me to look upon the feeble residuals of her once vivacious mother. Again confusion came upon my mother's countenance as she looked upon the remains. Even I neglected to notice that my grandmother's face was frozen in a haunting expression of surprise as if that final breath of life she failed to take was her ticket to the world thereafter and by missing it sentenced herself to the prison of her dead body a halfway hell stuck between desirable domains what happened my mother asked me she just died i said something doesn't look right my mother said more to herself than to me not thinking for a moment that I had any part in this outcome. She looks like she is in horror, my mother continued, her words breaking off into sharp, piercing sadness. Mom! She started to scream. Mom, what happened? At this time, my father came into the scene and put his arms around my mother to calm her, but there was nothing calm about the next five minutes. My mother continued to beseech some lingering aspect of my grandmother in hopes of finding the justification of her death, and my grandmother, in return, did not remain silent. Her body moaned. By some power left in her essence, she harrowed her bones, dispatching them into tremendous splintering, and with the splintering, tremendous sound. And the louder my mother called out to my grandmother, the louder her body convulsed, until there was nothing left to splinter, and my grandmother's body lay still once more, exhausted of any further communicative potential. With my grandmother's silence, so my mother became tranquil. And with that, with my grandmother's death, and death beyond death, I, an eight-year-old boy, started a new life. There were certain soothsayers that believed my grandmother had been cursed, but each new soothsayer that my parents gave incredible amounts of money to gave a different testament regarding the occurrence. It was only when one man of the spirits told my parents that my grandmother had perpetuated into holiness that they stopped on their hunt for answers, although their lack of money, regardless, would have ceased such a fruitless obsession. And by this time, 
Years had gone by, dwindled, withered years. There was no security, there was no love. But those things to me were trivial. My interests were on far greater things. Throughout those early years left of my life, I spent unreasonable hours walking the halls of rest homes, looking upon time-worn lives, waiting for the auras to sing to me the song of death's sweet serenade so that I might pilfer its tune. And I did, many times. My name and my face became quite recognized around these diminished communities of my wanderings. I was known as an endeared volunteer, for that was what I was looked upon as. My friendships were many, but there was not a single one of truth. They were all hollow and solely created for my selfish agenda. Many of those friends gave me the precious gift I desired, and many did not, those that lived beyond the limitations of my stays. There was a certain art to what I did with my gift. I had to know death. I had to notice its approach and catch it at its work. And over the many years acting upon my abilities, I became more and more skilled. So much so that I could sense death in the same way animals sense riotous weather and earthquakes. By the time my younger years were expired, I had collected dying breaths from close to one hundred souls. These accumulated building blocks lining my insides began to significantly influence the architecture of the structure within me. It began to have weight and impact. I could feel it in my bones and in my blood. I could feel it in my mind, a steel-like cognizance wrought with compounded archaic thoughts. To me, awful, unhinged power was this fortress emerging inside, and I had, like I always knew, to complete it. When my family dissolved by death in foreign distance, I went out living on my own. But I built an immunity towards life, living it, acting upon it, reveling within it, and so I could not cope with the responsibilities it demanded. I became homeless, and under such circumstances I became ragged and despicable. My road towards finishing the fortress within me impressively changed. The stalking of the elderly was no more an innocent and illusionary thoughtful act. So focused on my goal, I forced myself upon people and situations that degraded me and humiliated me. Even other outcasts left me to my own asylum. In this time of weakness, as I still yearned feverishly towards my looming purpose, I gave myself away to the abstract measures of faith. I began to believe in distant, watchful eyes that would hold me true to the course I plotted. In unfailing trust, I looked to those eyes in blindness to guide me on my journey, to guide me to the ones short of death, to the dead living. By tapping into an ethereal realm of strength and courage, I lived in power, even while the power I strove for was unfinished. The power I did hold was hope, and although I only added twenty-three more dying breaths to my internal award over ten long years, it was in hope that I did what I did and was able to keep on doing it. At the end of that tenth year, my life again changed, for I stumbled upon one of death's loyal servants, the Depository, a road where the homeless go to die. 
I had heard neither rumor nor story about this destitute place, but it existed as surely as living die. My hopes could never have been more answered. There was an abundance of the dead living there, dozens and dozens of those biding their days, hours, and minutes until the partition of their existences. When I stumbled upon it in the dead of the night, while I traveled upon country I did not know, I thought it was but a dream to tease and torture me, but quickly my sensory of death erupted like flares within my mind, thrusting my belief into acute hunger. In the days following, even after I had stolen away death, I could hardly fathom the surreal haze of it all. It was too good. It was so much. It was so real. By mercy, the eyes of my guiding had laid before me a platter to feed the nation inside me. It was not in luck or chance or fairy tale or reverie that this land of failing life resided. It was by the glory of my destiny that brought it into being. My destiny alone had beckoned forth this gathering, an offering to the culminating presence inside me. After several weeks, I had accumulated the dying breaths that were there for the taking. These weeks were but minutes compared to the hellish years that preceded them. At the end of this harvest, I came to a mysterious revelation that I only needed one more breath, one more brick to complete the fortress. I could see the fortress inside me in all of its splendor. I could feel its immensity and draw near to its shade. Through all the patience of the world, I had none now. I ran as if I had somewhere to run, but running was only the result of my need. For the first time, I needed instead of wanted. I had to have this final breath, unlike any of the other breaths that I had taken. Its importance was maddening. Its vacancy was deadening. With the hounds of my fate tearing at my heels, I did find my final breath, two miles away. With the lust for death in my eyes, and the lust for death in my heart, and the absence of reason, I picked up a jagged broken plate from a trash canister when I saw the lonely man walking down the road. His aura of life was bright and full. Time was not yet claiming him, but I decided I would. I pounced upon the man and brought him swiftly to the ground, surely with bones in his body breaking in the action. I pinned him and then drew my face in close to his. My eyes met his, and I exchanged with them the fortunes of the beyond. I let him breathe, and then I breathed, and then, with my left hand, I forced his mouth and nose into airlessness, clenching the orifices beneath the full capacity of my strength. With his inability to inhale, I stabbed his throat with the plate, forcing the breath I breathed to be his last. His aura, that was moments before lively, vanished. I stood up from the man to embrace and relish the completed fortress within. I waited for the final brick to slide into place. I waited for the unlocking of unimaginable authority. But the piece did not fit. It squirmed and writhed within me, fighting for its place within the fortress. But there was nowhere for it. My blood boiled. My limbs shook. With demonic desire, the brick forced itself into a placement. 
but only as a puzzle piece is rammed into an incorrect spot did this brick reside, an abomination to the magnificent structure before it. And with this part placed as such, there never could be the fortress of my dreams and the power of my nightmares. The fortress could not be finished, not with that brick. That concludes episode 62 of The Dark Verse. Download all of the past episodes at thedarkverse.com or on iTunes. All stories on The Dark Verse are the sole property of Sharkchild and cannot be used for distribution, publication, or monetary gain without my written consent. Sleep deeply and remember to love.